unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is shocked by these things, and the conversation continues. We're going to pick up at verse, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 3. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. In God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, I ask that you would send your spirit to open your word to teach us that we would hear, and through through hearing we would believe, and that through believing we would offer this good news to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It would be easy, even expected, For Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel to be enemies. After all, Israel killed Mary Johnson's only son. He was a teenager at the time in Minneapolis, and Israel was involved with gangs and drugs. And one night after a party, he got into a fight with her son, who was 20 years old at the time, and he shot and killed him. O'Shea is now... 34 years old. He finished serving his prison sentence for murder. And as Mary Johnson recalls the situation, their first face to face conversation occurred inside the walls of the prison when Israel agreed to meet with her after her repeated attempts to see him. She reflects on that time and she says, I wanted to know if you were of the same mindset of what I remembered you from court where I wanted to go over and hurt you. But you were not that 16-year-old. You were now a grown man, and I shared with you about my son. Israel said, it was at that moment that her son became human to me. And at the end of their meeting, Mary Johnson was overcome by emotion. And she said, and Israel said, the initial thing to do was just to try and and hold you up as best as I could and just to hug you like I would my own mother. Mary Johnson says, after he left the room, I began to say, I just 
hug the man who murdered my son. And instantly, I knew that all that anger and all that animosity and all that stuff that had been in my heart for 12 years for him, I knew it was over and that I had totally forgiven him. And so shortly thereafter that, Mary began wearing a locket, a two-sided locket that she wears on the necklace, and on one side are photos of herself and her son, and on the other side of the locket that she wears around her neck is a picture of Oshea Israel. We wonder at Mary Johnson's forgiveness of this man. We wonder at the love that she has for this man who cost her her own son and who brought about so much pain to her. And in her story, we get a glimpse of the wonder of God's love and the cost of God's love and the offer of God's love that he gives to each one of us. So let's begin by looking at the wonder of God's love. It tells us here in verse 16, John 3, 16, the most famous Bible verse that there is. For God so loved the world. We hear that and we've seen it so many times. And we think, isn't it amazing that God loves the world? And we oftentimes understand this probably most typically to say, isn't it incredible that God loves a place that is so big? Like God's love is so huge. Think of all of those peoples that he loves. And it is huge. But that's not John's emphasis in this verse. For when you go through the Gospel of John, and over the 70 different usages of the word world in the Gospel of John, almost all of them, except for three of them, refer to the world as a place that's not so big, but as a place that is so bad. You get a glimpse of it in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. What is the world? It is the world that hates God and hates the things of God. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As he says to his disciples, you are, you're not in the world. I, I have chosen you out of the world. I have chosen you out of this place of evil and out of this place of wickedness. And ultimately, I will send you into the world. But you're not of the world, this place that is so bad. And again, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, do not love the world. He says to Christians, do not love the world or the things of the world. Well, what is the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here is what is in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is in the world? The desires of the flesh, the lusts, the greed, the yearnings, the selfishness, the desires of the eyes. I see what someone else has and I want it. I'm envious. I'm jealous. I want what they have for my own selfishness. And the pride of life where I just think that I'm better than anyone else or I deserve it. And one way or another, all that is in the world. What is in the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so in John's usage, and the, where we see, helps us understand the wonder of God's love, In John's usage, the world is this moral order that is willful, that is willfully in rebellion 
that is guilty of their rebellion against God, and they're shaking their fists at him. Fists at him. You know, this is one scriptural truth that really is not hard to understand, and I don't really understand how anyone could ever argue with this. I mean, it is, this is like one of the few biblical truths about faith that is like empirically provable. Um, I mean, you consider how bad our world is. I mean, you look at the genocides, Armenia, Nanking, the Nazi Holocaust, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Bosnia, Darfur, the Islamic State, the ethnic cleansing in Sudan. And those are just a few in the last hundred years, let alone the ones that have gone on for centuries before that. You can hear the shootings and destructions between Columbine, Aurora, Orlando, Charleston, Great Mills, Pittsburgh. You can have human trafficking, rape, selfishness, greed, white-collar crimes, Enron, corruption, deceit, lies, oppression, lust, bribery. Immorality, arrogance, bullying, mean girls, racism, chauvinism, godlessness. And you could go on, I could go on for another hour. And the wonder of God's love, what's really amazing about it is not that he loves a place that is so big, but that he loves something so bad. It's amazing that he loves not so many people, but that he loves such wicked people, including you and me, who are in rebellion against God. And you see this in the story of Mary Johnson. I mean, the wonder of Mary Johnson's love is not that she loves her son. You would expect her to love her son. But the wonder of her love is that she loves the murderer of her son, O'Shea Israel. She loves the one who has done such heinous things at her expense, and at her loss. And so the shock and the wonder of God's love in this passage is that the Jews knew that God loved them. They knew that God had set his affection upon them. And the Jews also knew that the world was a really, really bad place. And they knew that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were unclean. And Jewish writings spoke of God's love and and only of God's love for the people of Israel. So when Jesus comes to Nicodemus, this Jewish leader, this Jewish teacher of the law, and he says to him, for God so loves the world, it's astounding that God's love would be possible, not just for Jews, but that God's love would be possible for whoever. Whoever, no matter their level of wickedness, no matter their level of corruption and, and greed and selfishness and uncleanness, that God's love is possible for whoever believes, and the only requirement for them is that they believe in Jesus Christ in order to have eternal life, and that this would be not just for the Jews. That's astounding. In the wonder of God's love, that he would love those who are so bad. And his love comes at a, at a great cost. And so the text kind of reveals to us the cost of God's love. We get an insight in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Should not perish. 
not enter into eternal judgment, eternal condemnation, but rather have eternal life, a life of abundant joy, immeasurable blessings in the presence of God for all eternity. But that they should not perish, that the world, that we were people who were perishing. Get a clearer picture of this in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved through Him. Condemn the world? Well, condemned, condemned from what? Why would they be condemned? Verse tells us in the next verse. Here's why they would be condemned. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That the world is already under condemnation. That the world is already turning away from Him. And so when it goes on to say, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, is that unbelief is not the only basis for condemnation. Rather, it is the climax of rebellion against God. That this God, who you have rebelled against, offers you a way of salvation and a way to not have condemnation, and you reject it, is the climax of rebellion against him. And so apart from faith in Jesus Christ, what Scripture makes clear and what Jesus says in his own words is that people are already condemned. Really? What for? Tells us again in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The judgment, here is why people are condemned. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What is that? What is the darkness? Why are people condemned? Because their works were evil. That is, that we've done things and said things and thought things that we ought not to have done. We have lived at times in outright rebellion against God. We have said, you know what, Lord? I know what your word says. I know what is true and what is right, and I'm going to do the opposite of that because I want to. There have also been things that we should do and things that we should say and things that we should think good things to do that we have failed to do. And what happens for Jesus is that he comes in and he exposes the light. And so the result is that people hate him. They say, I don't like that. That's what verse 20 says. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Why do they hate the light? Because it exposes the evil that they have done. And if you are one who has done wicked things in darkness and the light comes, you want to hide in the shadows. You want to hide in a place where you're not seen, where it's not exposed. And people hate the light, and that's why people are already condemned. So what, John is, what Jesus is adding to in his conversation with Nicodemus is this, is that our problem is not just that we are dead and need a spiritual birth, as he said, as we examined last week, but not only are we dead, but we're guilty. And not only are we guilty, but we are the reason for Jesus' death. That our sin, our evil works, in order for God to save us, justice has to be done. Because God would not be just if he did not hold the guilty accountable. He would not be just if he let the guilty go unpunished. But because of his great love, there is this tension that he resolves. On the one hand, God loves us and does not want to punish us for our sins. On the other hand, God is just and he must punish sin if he is a just God. And so what God does is he gives his own son to bear our cost on the cross so that we would not perish, but that we would have life 
and have more than that. And he paid the cost himself. Hosea Israel reflects on his relationship with Mary Johnson. He says, sometimes I still don't know how to take it. Because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from you, he says to Mary. I won't say that I've learned it yet, but because it's still a process that I'm going through. And Mary says, I treat you as I would my own son. And our relationship's beyond belief. In fact, the two of them live next door to each other in Minneapolis. And if he falls out of touch with her, he says that he's sure to hear about it. And he says that she calls him up and says, boy, how come you ain't called over here to check on me in a couple days? You ain't even asked if my garbage needs to go out. And he laughs. He said, I find those things funny because it's a relationship with a mother for real. To which she responds, well, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate, but now you're going to college. I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married, but hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. And he says that hearing these things gives him motivation to meet, reach his goals. He says, it motivates me to make sure that I stay in the right path. You still believe in me, and the fact that you can do it, despite how much pain I caused you, it's amazing. He says to her, I love you, lady. And she says, I love you, son. You see, God gave his son for you and for me. And his son was not merely murdered, but God actually offered his son to pay the cost of our crimes so that he could say to you, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. And he not only says it, but he forgives you and he adopts you into his own family and gives you an eternal inheritance and life and life abundant. And that is the, the wonder of God's love is that he would love someone like you and like me who is so bad. And he would pay the cost to, so that you would not only be free and forgiven, but that you would become his child. And he extends this offer across the globe. And look at the offer of God's love. It tells us here in verse 15. As Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It seems that Jesus knew this was a point that needed to be emphasized, that it was for whoever, because he says it through two more times. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again, in case you missed it the first two times in verse 18, whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned. I mean, whoever believes, that means to trust in him. That means that you have a belief, not just that, yeah, I agree with that, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, I believe that can happen. But you have a belief and you, you act on that belief. You, you trust. It's like, you know, you go on a youth retreat and you're doing those, those trust falls, right? 
if you're standing there, at some point you've got to let go. You can't just say, I believe that they're going to hold me up. At some point you have to let go and act on that belief and trust that the people are going to catch you. Or a little bit more exciting, if you're crowd surfing, right? If you're at a concert and you're waiting for that moment to launch yourself on the crowd, you can't just say, I believe that the crowd's going to catch me. Eventually you've got to throw yourself out there. You've got to act on the belief and trust that God is who he says he is. You know, sometimes it's, a, it's when people hear this verse, that, you know, one of the things that people object to with Christianity is they say, well, I don't like how exclusive Christianity, why is it that, it's, why is it that you have to believe in Jesus? You know, I mean, it's, it's whoever believes in Jesus and says, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're already condemned. I think there's a couple things to consider with that. First off is that belief in Christ and the exclusivity of Christianity is not any more exclusive than any other religion. Whether that's saying you have to follow the eightfold path, or you have to take your pilgrimage to Mecca, or do whatever. The only difference here is that in Christianity, it says anybody can do it. It's whoever believes. It's not just those who get life right, but it's especially for those who get life wrong. And for those who are bad, not for the good, but for those who are bad, that whoever believes can have life. And life eternal in Jesus Christ. And so someone says in response, well, well, I believe that anybody can go to heaven. I, don't th- I believe it doesn't matter what they believe. On the one hand, oftentimes people say that because, you know, it sounds inclusive. It sounds like you're including everybody. But it's really not. Because who gave you the exclusive position to tell everyone else that they're wrong? That everyone else is wrong and that you're right. It sounds like it's inclusive, but it's really not. You say, okay, okay, well, well, what about those who never heard about Jesus? What about those who never heard about Jesus? Well, they need to hear. And I think verse 21 actually gives us a fuller insight into what Scripture says about this. Verse 21 says this, but, there's this a but, but whoever does Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what about people who never hear? Well, they need to hear. And the same Bible who says that whoever believes has eternal life also says whoever does what is true comes to the light. That the same Bible that says you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ also says, those who seek me will find me. And Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And the same God who sent Jesus Christ into the world to save the world and not condemn it is the same God who sends you into the world so that others would hear the message and follow Christ. So that those who seek God would find God by those whom God has sent to bring this message to those who are seeking God. It's an incredible picture of it, some of the stories some years ago about the, a group of people who lived in the south central region of Ethiopia, several million people who lived in the coffee growing region. There's a group of people named as the Gadeo people, and they believed in a benevolent being called Magano, 
who is the all-powerful creator of all that there is. But few of the Gideo people actually prayed to Magano. And instead, they prayed more and they sought to appease a being, an evil being they called Shetayan. And one time they were asked, why, uh, how is it that you regard Magano with powerful awe, yet you sacrifice to Shaitan? And they responded, well, we sacrifice to Shaitan not because we love him, but because we simply do not enjoy close enough ties with Magano to allow us to be done with Shaitan. However, at least one Magano person approached it in a different way. His name was Warasa Wange. And he was one who lived in the tribal grounds, but he lived on the edge of the tribal grounds in a small town called uh, Dilla, which is at the edge of the tribal land. And his method of approaching Magano, the all-powerful creator being, his method was simply to pray to Magano and ask that Magano would reveal himself to his people. And he quickly got a surprising and startling response. They had a dream and a vision that took him by storm. Had a picture that there were going to be two white-skinned strangers who were going to show up, and they were going to come to the edge of his town, and there was a large sycamore tree, and that these two strangers were going to erect these white, or they were going to erect these flimsy shelters for themselves underneath the shade of this sycamore tree. And over time, they were then going to build a more permanent structure with a, with a shiny roof. And eventually, these shiny roof structures were all over the hillside. And he didn't know what these things were because they had never seen anything like this. Because they were a people who lived in grass-roofed huts. And there was a voice that said to him, These men will bring you a message from Magano, the God that you seek. Wait for them. And so he waited. And he waited. And he continued to wait. And he waited for over eight years, waiting and looking at this sycamore tree on the edge of his village. And during that eight years, there was a group of missionaries who began to pray that God would use them to reach the Gadeo people. And they talked to local Ethiopians, and the local Ethiopians told them that they needed to, that if they were going to go to this place, they, they should not try to go to the tribal center because they wouldn't be accepted in the tribal center. Instead, if they were going to go, they should go to the edge of the tribal lands and they said, well, if that's our only entry in, we'll go there. So over eight years after Warasa had been waiting, in one December, this old, beat-up, battered old truck with two blue-eyed Canadians came over the top of a hill on a scorching hot day. And they came to a town called Dilla where they were going to set up camp to see if they could begin to interact with the 
Gedeo people. And as they came over the top of the hill, they wiped the sweat from their brow and they said, you know, this certainly is a hot one. I certainly hope that we can find a shady spot to set up our tents. To which the other one said, look at that old sycamore tree over there. Let's set up our tents underneath that. And so he revved up the engine, and they crested the hill, and they began to drive towards this sycamore tree. And in the distance, Warasa heard the sound. He heard the sound of this truck coming over to over this hillside, and he saw them just as they pulled underneath this sycamore tree that was spreading out its branches, and just as they began to set up their tents, and Warasa walked up to them and headed towards the truck, wondering, Were these the people that he had been waiting for? That God would give, through whom God would give a message from the God that he had been seeking. And three decades after this encounter, Warasa, who is now a radiant believer in Jesus Christ, who was now a son of Magana, together with these two missionaries, had counted over 200 churches among the Gadeo people with over 200 people in each of those churches. You see, what happens is that God sends his people to find those whom he is seeking. And God works in such a way so that those who are seeking God find God. And like two magnets that are spinning around, God works both of these things that people would seek God so that whoever seeks God would find God. And those, that God who, have, those who have been found by God, God then sends out to seek those who are seeking God. And God works and he draws these two things these two things together so that whoever, whoever would seek God, whoever believes in Jesus Christ would find him and come to know him. But let me draw this a little bit closer to home. There are some of you here this morning, and you are the whoever. You're the whoever that you have Come here, and you started coming here, maybe because a friend invited you, or maybe you just started coming here, and you, and you don't really know why that you're here. And yet you find that there is something that is drawing you and compelling you and attracting you. And as I say these words, you're thinking, well, that's weird. How does, how does this guy know what, I, what I've been thinking and feeling? I, I don't. But the Spirit of God does. And the Spirit of God works because Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to condemn the world, but to save the world so that whoever hears this message, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this morning, if you are one of the whoevers that you've been seeking and you have been waiting, the next step is yours. The next step is yours to believe in Jesus and to trust him. And to trust him is that you pray out, pray to God, you say you actually communicate with God. Maybe you've never done that before, but you actually pray to God and you say, Dear God, I acknowledge that I deserve to perish. I, I deserve to be condemned. But I believe that you sent Jesus Christ as the one who perished in my place, who was condemned on my behalf, who died on the, tr- on the cross 
because you are a just God and my sins deserve punishment. But you sent Jesus out of your great love so that he would be punished for me and so that through his resurrection I would have life and have it abundantly. I believe in Jesus. If you are whoever, make today the day that you receive Jesus. Make today the day that you receive eternal life instead of death through belief in Jesus. And for you here, for we here who do believe in Jesus, who believe in his name, let me ask you, how does the whoever hear about Jesus in order to believe in Jesus? There is one of the Gideo people who asks the missionaries, so did your great-great-grandfather know about Jesus? They said, yeah. And they said, well, then why didn't your great-great-grandfather come and talk to my great-great-grandfather so that we wouldn't have to be waiting so long? You see, God, the same God who sent Jesus into the world to seek and save the lost, sends his followers into the world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The wonder is that God so loved the world, that God so loved something so bad, and he loved the world so much that he bore the cost himself, by giving his only son to die. And he offers to you. And he invites us to offer to whoever, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in Jesus and offer him to the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship you and praise you that you came to seek and save the lost. We praise you and worship you that you left your throne on heaven and source of all light and you entered into the darkness, the world that place is so bad, a place of wickedness and corruption. And not only did you enter in, but you entered in to bear the punishment that your justice required and the condemnation that we deserved so that we would have life and have it abundantly. And Lord Jesus, you are the one who was raised up. You are the one who was lifted high on the cross so that we would not be condemned, but that so that we would have life. And you are the one, Lord Jesus, who continues to be lifted up and you will be high and lifted up and every voice will praise you because you are the one who saves us and gives us life eternal and life abundant. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.